Greetings, Feminist Survival Project 2020 listeners. Emily here with a fun and exciting announcement. I wanted to let you all know that we have joined the Frolic Podcast Network. Frolic is a podcast community of everything romance and romance related. As you know, I am both a reader of and author of romance fiction. And Amelia, while romance is not necessarily her direct thing, is a super fan of many kinds of genre fiction. And anyone who reads and or writes romance knows the value of self-care. So we're really excited to be a part of this community. If you're into romance in any flavor, check out the other podcasts on the Frolic Network. It includes one of my very favorite podcast smart bitches trashy books which is sarah wendell's podcast about romance she's super amazing amelia and i have been on it a couple of times we love her a lot what does this mean for you about the show ah! nothing's going to change about the way we create the feminist survival project or about the way it is brought to you it just means you're going to be connected to more shows to enjoy more things to make you feel good more things to help you survive 2020 you can find new shows to add to your podcast subscriptions at frolic.media slash podcasts. Oh, here comes Thunder. Thunder wants to say hi. Thunder wants to subscribe to new podcasts. So from now on, you're going to hear an introduction on our podcast that's about, hey, we're a member of the podcast network. And at the end of it, you're going to hear another. We're part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Uh, and that's all that's going to change about it. And hopefully it's a way for us to connect with more audience members and for you, the audience, to connect with new podcasts that will make your life easier to survive in the shit show that is 2020. Thanks! Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feminist Survival Project. This is a podcast for feminists who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do and still worry that they're not doing enough. Mm. Uh, bearing in mind that for us a feminist is anyone who believes that being a woman is neither a moral failing nor a medical condition. We here at the Feminist Survival Project basically look at the shit show that is 2020 at three different levels. There's the actual injury that is getting inflicted on you, like the knife that is being stabbed, you know, in metaphorically into your metaphorical body, the actual cause of the injury. Yeah. Um, then there's, so we need to remove that. Yep. Take this podcast out. is mostly not about that. Yeah. You're, you're working on that. You're yeah. working on making the world a better place. That's why you're so overwhelmed and exhausted. And you are working like on removing the medical, metaphorical knife from the cultural body. The literal uh, constitution. So once we remove that, or even as we remove that, then there's healing. Healing is what we talk about the most, which is like your immune system naturally reacting to the wound and sending the white blood cells and all the inflammatory responses and all the external infrastructure, like the cast that you put on a broken leg and the band-aid that you put over an open wound and the loving and supportive people who surround you and help you that's all stuff that actually actively heals you mm -hmm. and a lot of like so completing the structures of one cycle is actual healing bubble healing. of love is actual healing yep even i would say the monitor is about actual no the monitor is really about getting the knife out so most of the things we talk about are actual healing rest actual healing yes 
not only is rest actual healing, it's part of the process of extracting the knife from the metaphorical cultural body. Yes. It is itself the revolution. So rest. Yes. All these things are actual healing. And then the third level is pain management mm-hmm. or numbing. Take a couple of ibuprofen or two aspirin and call me in the morning. You know what? Sometimes reducing the pain is the way your brain gets access to sleep and sleep is the way your brain gets access to healing. Yeah. It's exhausting to be in pain all the time. It's It induces... The pain itself is a source Stressor. of stress. Yeah. And when you're experiencing stress, you, all of your immune functions are diminished. So you need to reduce the pain in order to allow healing to happen, or at least for it to happen more efficiently. And we are not here for the puritanical narrative that suffering is inherently virtuous. Yeah. It is not true. Nope. That suffering makes you a better person than not taking pain management substances or taking steps to numb pain is somehow morally superior. Right. If you can tolerate more pain, you're a better person. Yeah, fuck no, that. that is not true. That is not at all true. We are. It, it's important for the healing process that sometimes you stop and take a break. Sometimes it is too intense for too long. And if you keep trying to like stay in a state where the pain is as acute as it is, then like bad shit happens. So today we're going to talk about emotional ibuprofen. Yeah, we're going to talk about numbing. Mm-hmm. Because it uh, turns out it can be good for you. Yeah. So technically speaking, what we're going to be describing are maladaptive strategies for managing negative affect. So maladaptive strategies, uh, these are, so adaptive strategies are ones that help Mm -hmm. and bring very low risk of unintended, unwanted consequences. Maladaptive strategies are ones that may work in the short term, but bring an increased risk of unwanted consequences. Yeah. Which is why you don't use them in the long term. Long term. They are short short term term coping, bridging. You gotta do what you gotta do. Survival. Yes. So technically these are maladaptive. And there's only two adaptive coping strategies, positive reappraisal and planful problem solving. And we have talked about those in the past. We have talked, we have episodes on both of those things. So here come all the rest of them. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about specific maladaptive strategies that numb specifically. Let us start with food. Yeah. Food is very soothing. It literally is. There's research on this. And it simply is true. It's called comfort food. It literally is comforting. And it people's perception of pain after they have eaten high carbohydrate kind mm-hmm. of treats, mm-hmm. their perception of pain really is lower. Yes. Physical and emotional. Yes. It's the I know Tina Fey got a lot of shit for her sheet caking. Yeah. But uh That's real. It's real. It's evidence-based. Yeah. It doesn't work long-term. It's not good for you long-term, but as a way to cope right here, right now, and experience a little bit less pain so that you can get through and do what you got to do for the next 24 hours, she cake. Yeah. So that's one. Mm -hmm. Totally go for it if it's going to help you get through. I want to share my favorite high-carb, high-sugar soothing thing, and that is Ben & Jerry's Americone Dream because it's Stephen Colbert, it's sort of rethinking like what it is to be American, and it's a high fat, high sugar, very soothing food. And doesn't it have a little bit of salty pretzel in it? It has a little bit of like, um, like the ice cream cone in it. Yeah, so it has a kind of crunchy, savory, I mean, you know, it's as savory as ice cream can be while still being a huge sugar bomb. But yeah, it's, um, it's not only the food itself, but the fact that it's Stephen Colbert and, yeah, and the sort of revisiting American. 
Okay. Yeah. Fat. <laughs> food. Food was the first food one. Food was the first one. Second one. Alcohol. Mm-hmm. People have been drinking alcohol since the beginning of recorded time. Yeah. Because it works. Yes. Uh, initially, it was um, it was safer than water because the alcohol killed whatever germies were living in the water. Yeah. That is no longer the case. Most of us have access to potable water. Water that's safer than beer. Right. And alcohol, the first thing it does in low doses is to reduce noisy chatter, anxiety, prefrontal cortex. Yep stuff in your brain yeah so when we talk about alcohol i'm really talking about like two drinks over the course of the standard party line as a college health educator for a long time the standard party line is one drink an hour is a good pace to start at Mm -hmm. of course for some people that's going to be way too fast for other people they're not even going to feel one drink an hour but Mm -hmm. on average that's a good starting place women really do have a slower alcohol metabolism partly because they're smaller, partly Mm -hmm. because they have less water in their bodies, partly because they have less of the enzyme in their stomachs that breaks down the alcohol. So it is not the case that women can drink at the same pace as men for actual body reasons. Yeah. So drink at a pace feels right for you. And the CDC recommendations are one drink a day for women, two drinks a day for men for those reasons. And uh, I drink more than that. Yeah. Mostly that has been since the 2016 election. Oh, yeah. And it works. Yeah. It helps. It, yeah. Temporarily. Yeah. It's in just a, a temporary numbing. It doesn't actually like make the world a better place. Yeah. It doesn't facilitate healing. But like on the days when the news is bad, yeah. It just like lowers the volume on the noise. It makes it possible for me to like go about my evening. Yeah. In a way that I can, like, let go. I feel like this is a good time to talk about when you know that your numbing behavior is dangerous as opposed to just short-term coping. Yeah. Because sheet caking is not dangerous in any immediate way. It's not good for you in the long term, but it's really hard to eat so much sheet cake that it'll poison you. Whereas alcohol, you can drink enough that it will kill you today. Yeah, you could do that today. So flags red flags people should be looking for to know if their drinking is dangerous versus yeah. just a short-term there's coping strategy. three um if you have a family history of alcohol or other substance abuse that's a sign that you need to be real cautious in your relationship with alcohol if you find yourself having more than four drinks in one sitting more than once in the last month that's a flag like mm-hmm. if there's been any time in the last month that you've had a six-pack all in one sitting that's that's a red flag um and if you find yourself craving alcohol not just be like oh wouldn't it be great to have a glass of wine tonight with that dinner (sighs) yeah but like i'm not like i need a drink yeah who needs a? if your body is like especially if this craving comes before like 6 p.m yeah if your body is craving alcohol that's another one of the red flags. Those are the three big ones as an alcohol educator that I asked people about in order to get a sense of what their risk level was. Yeah. Signs that you're drinking too much if you black out, if you have memory loss of any kind, blackout or brownout, that's um that's basically brain damage. Yeah. And you wanna you that's a sign that you are drinking too much. Throwing up from alcohol definitely 
means that you had too much alcohol. Hangovers, there's actually a lot of ways to manage hangovers. Mostly the cause of hangovers is the dehydration, dehydration. of the alcohol yeah. and the way that alcohol disrupts your sleep. One of the reasons why we limit even our recommendations for a maladaptive coping strategy of alcohol is because it does screw up the second half of your night's sleep. Yes. So part of the reason you feel so crappy the next day is because your sleep was really, so you might like wake up too early yeah. and not be able to get back to sleep or like yeah. keep waking up over and over again. And rest is much more important than any short-term coping strategy. Yeah. So, so if you're drinking- If the coping strategy interrupts your sleep, not worth it, not even close. Yeah. So if you find that even a low dose of alcohol, a couple of drinks, screws up your sleep, we're going to suggest our next strategy, yep. which is marijuana. Yeah. The legality, of course, is going to depend on where you are. We live in a state where uh, yeah. it's legal. Uh, yes, it, it is still illegal at the federal level. So if the feds come to my house, for example, I have illegal substances <laughs> at the according to state law. I mean, sorry, according to federal law. According to state law, I have a I have a legal amount in my house. I grew my own. As soon as it became legal in Massachusetts, I bought some seeds and I grew some plants in my house and then I transplanted them to my yard. And I learned a lot about cultivating plants. I learned a lot about how to grow the plants so that they'll produce a certain type of effect. Like basically the longer they ripen on the vine, the less heady high you get from them, the more relaxed, chill, anti-anxiety, sleep-inducing they become. So I I grew and bred my own marijuana specifically for the sleep-inducing anti-anxiety effects. I over-ripened my marijuana um, and then I cured it and I jarred it and I use it for sleep. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's always caveats necessary for these kinds of things. These are not controlled substances and the level of intoxicating chemicals in the marijuana that's available now yeah. is vastly higher than it was even 10 years ago yes. like vastly yes. like and that's happening at a genetic level of the seeds the seeds are now of plants that produce much higher concentrations yeah. of the uh, psychoactive chemicals so there is no evidence based recommendation we can make because no. never before have our brains been exposed to this, this intensity yes. of THC CBD all this stuff and even if you go to a dispensary who are licensed to guide you to a particular plant they don't know they, they don't know there is no they're doing their best but they don't know like pharmaceutical companies make a pill that's really consistent and they can say this dose does this because they've been able to test it in that regular way marijuana is a plant Literally every plant is different. Every bud on the plant is slightly different. So every time you take another dose of something, it's coming it's gonna from- It's gonna be different. It's gonna be different. So it, definitely approach it cautiously with curiosity and experimentation. Um, and gradually. And gradually. Uh, but you, you are, when you use marijuana, you are your own science experiment. Yeah. So treat yourself as if you would treat a lab rat very nicely, very gently. Yeah. Like it's, if it were sheet caking, it would be like baking your own sheet cake with new ingredients that you're not yeah. 100% sure. Yeah. In an oven that you're not quite sure how it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, but marijuana is a great maladaptive strategy for managing negative affects, that's stress, depression, anxiety, loneliness, and repressed rage. We've all got it. Yeah. Um, it's marijuana. less dangerous than alcohol in terms of... Yeah, there's no amount of marijuana you can consume that'll, that'll kill, kill you today. you today. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was working on college campuses, people would ask me, no, but which is better? Which is safer? And they were challenging me sort of in a sarcastic way because, yeah. like... As if there's a controversy. Legal, yeah. And marijuana, marijuana is, is not. not. And or wasn't like, at the time. Yeah. So, and... 
there's if just you're no choose one, yeah. yeah. Marijuana for sure. Yeah. Just don't leave your house. Yeah. Yeah. Which if you're going to be intoxicated at all on anything, just don't leave your house. Home. Just be be polite or to be other at a people. friend's house. And yeah, don't yeah. don't get on the road, don't yeah, don't be on a subway. Yeah. No trains. Yeah. Okay. We've talked about three. Mm-hmm. Should we talk about uh, entertaining distractions? Yeah. So there's mind-numbing TV or audiobooks or just reading, diving into a novel and spending three hours reading and not accomplishing anything else. That kind of escapist entertainment totally doesn't do anything good for you in terms of making your life better or solving the problems in your life, but man, it feels great. It does not have high side effects or really any risk or dangers to them, um, but it is a cost in terms of time that you might feel like you ought, quote unquote, ought to be spending doing something that makes the world a better place or like making cupcakes See, I don't know, something kid. like no? reading, it really feels like that's rest. Yeah? Yeah. I feel like people have guilt about it because it is, it's something they do, well, I guess so rest is something to do for themselves, but I know Malin doesn't like it if I'm like sitting reading a book and like not paying attention to him. He feels like I'm like escaping our relationship and our real interacting. Okay. Feels like numbing to me. And I definitely, I definitely use audiobooks for numbing. Oh yeah, I definitely use audiobooks for numbing. And I, YouTube. I use YouTube for numbing. I listened to Pride and Prejudice three times in a row on my last trip. Yeah. Like with planes and in cars just and... on a loop. Yep. Just, just listening to Pride and Prejudice. Am I familiar with the story already? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. It's Amelia Fox narrating. Nice. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. Oh, Jane Austen. Really, really good. Yeah. So numbing media and entertainment, something familiar and yeah. comfortable yeah. that just, uh, I had a student many years ago for whom Lord of the Rings. Oh yeah. She wanted to be like, no, it's helping me complete the cycle. No. And no, no, what she was doing was like putting the DVD on and lying in bed, staring at the screen and mm -hmm. having it just, just everything inside her head went quiet. Yeah. She could like stare at the screen and watch these things happen. Yeah. She was not like emotionally engaged with the story. Right. She was just like letting it distract her. When you're emotionally distraction engaged. distraction is effective. Distraction yes. is an evidence-based yes. intervention. When you're, when you're engaged emotionally in the story and it really does lead you through an emotional experience, then yes, it can help you complete the cycle. But if you're Sexual just healing. standing or sitting and staring and letting the movie happen to your face. Yeah. But not really engaging. That's if I'm numbing. listening to Pride and Prejudice as an example, mm -hmm. while I'm packing my stuff to leave my hotel, mm -hmm. in this case, I was doing that because I was feeling anxious for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. And the audiobook just like turned yeah. down the volume on the anxiety. Yeah. It just made it more comfortable. Yeah. To have that noise in my head. Watching Claire Saffitz figure out how to make Twinkies or oh, whatever. Oh, yeah. Bon Appetit on that, YouTube. That's really, really soothing. Very. Yeah. She goes on an emotional journey, but I just... I don't go with her. I don't go with her. Because there's no stakes. There's no stakes at all, and it's so great. It just doesn't matter if she succeeds or not. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, you know, you just... Like, when you get to know the characters in a YouTube channel... Yeah. You just want to go, like, visit with those people. Yeah. I know that there are people who listen to this podcast because yeah. they just want to go visit with us. <laughs> and we just want to visit with you. Hi. Like, we are here for that. Yeah. 
Well, here we are making a podcast about numbing. Yeah. And we really hope that for at least some people, just the babble the of our voices. The experience of listening to us is itself numbing. Yeah. We hope that for at least some people, informative. You're educational. Receiving information and yeah. also permission. Permission. This is very much a permission podcast mm-hmm. of like, you are allowed to numb sometimes. Yeah. You do not have to be a fucking hero and like yeah. suffer and struggle yeah. and always be no in pain. No. No. Healing goes faster when you can numb it sometimes. Yeah. Think about a child or a pet that you have. Like if your pet had an injury and was like limping and in terrible pain, wouldn't you be in favor of managing the pain yeah. of your pet get them out of pain. or your child? Yeah. Just to like help get them through so they could fall asleep. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Like you want that. Yeah. Not long term. This is not a solution for how to deal with life forever, but it's a, I, yeah. Temporary. If you had a particularly shitty day, like, there are times when you just need to numb. Should we talk about, like, how to make a decision about whether or not now is the time to, like, be numbing? Yeah, let's do that. I was going to say no, let's not. Let's not do that. No. I will tell you why I was going to say let's not do that. It's because the ultimate answer is your body will tell you. Yeah, your body will tell you. Yeah. But people struggle with that answer. Yes. No, I need a guideline. I think we made an episode about how to listen to your body. Did we do that? No, we did not. No, we haven't done that. We will do that in the future. We'll make a how to listen to your body. Right. But the answer is your body knows when you are over your threshold and it will tell you. People like Amelia ignore what their body is telling them and they just continue in pain, not even aware aware. of how much pain they're in. Oh, yeah. We've all had the experience of becoming injured in some way. You know, you get a paper cut or you pull a muscle and you don't even notice it until there's blood on your finger and you're like, how'd that get there? And then you're like, now it takes over your whole life and you can't, my hand (laughs) is throbbing now. But in the moment, you didn't even notice. There is a lot of science about this. If you are interested in in the science of it, I recommend the Explain Pain book. Explain Mm. Pain Supercharged is the clinical guide to adapting explain like pain the science of uh pain perception yeah but the short version is that your brain can only process so much information at a time yeah and if you are stressed out your entire central nervous system is very active and crowded and busy and the signal from your pain can't get its voice heard over the signal from all the stress you're experiencing when your stress goes away the, the pain is suddenly like swamping and overwhelming. So for example, um, if you finish a big project and immediately afterward you have the flu, yeah, it is not that you were all of a sudden infected with the flu. No, it's that you it's had that the flu. The project was like taking up all the space in your central nervous system. When that project goes away, your immune system, which has been trying to get its voice heard forever, is finally like, I was trying to tell you to go to bed, now go to bed. And it will just like whack you down. And if the suffering you're experiencing is existential pain that's psychological, that's Which it is mental. because it's 2020. Right, which it is because it's 2020. I'm in that pain literally every... And it's a shit show. All the time. Yeah. And then the world is telling you that you should be you should be fighting back and you shouldn't be letting it get you down. You should stay positive. And then you kind of also feel ashamed of having that pain or you deny having that pain. It becomes much more complicated to listen to the pain and see what it needs from you. Yeah, we're going to have to do an episode on how to listen to your body. Yeah, let's do that. Right now, let's just focus on 
ways we know for sure are effective at numbing. Mm -hmm. uh, another entertainment strategy is ye olde retail shoppy therapy. Mm -hmm. Does it work? Yes, in the it short does. term. In the short term. It gives you that tiny little like soothing and not just even the buying of things, but the shopping for things. Yes. The hunt, the pursuit, the focused yes. decision making as if like there's really any stakes involved in yeah. which. <laughs> which, yeah. Non-stick frying pan. Right. Or <laughs> breakfast cereal yeah. or packing cube yeah. or toothpaste. Yeah. like. Shopping itself, it like it is definitely so. Yeah. Some things to keep in mind: Can you afford it? Right. Are you impacting the environment in a way that you're like you're just filling your house with stuff that is never gonna go away? So go ahead in the same way that we offer caveats for the use of any substance. Our caveats for From retail therapy um, are about your budget and about the impact of consumption itself. Yeah. I mean, in the same way that you don't want to drink so much alcohol that it'll kill you right away, you don't want to go with retail therapy so much that it ends up being detrimental to yourself or to the environment. Yeah. Yeah. But does it work? Oh, yes, it does. It, it sure I does. I actually was talking to a psychiatrist uh, several years ago when I was taking already the maximum dose of the antidepressant I was on. And he's like, well, so do you know what else works? And I said, shopping. And he said, yep, shopping works for women. So I don't know if that's just us. What were you shopping for then? literally anything and i didn't even need to buy anything i would just go on amazon and just look at fun things yeah hedgehog shaped staplers yeah and robot shaped you USB spent a drives. lot of time watching bag tours on us on oh, youtube oh bag tours on youtube yes like show, show me, me all the, the pockets, pockets. <laughs> show me the pockets <laughs> Yes, yes. But what fits in the pockets? What fits in the pockets? What other containers can I put inside that container? And then show me the pockets in that container. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I also think of grocery shopping for me sometimes works that way. Sometimes I use it as like rest to mindfully think about my food, blah, blah, blah. But sometimes I just go in the store and walk up and down every aisle and just buy whatever and catches just look my at eye. Stuff and just and look at all of it that look good. and pick up the thing that I want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Shopping. And that when I'm grocery shopping, I can justify it because I have to buy food anyway. Yeah. I have to spend that time. So I can use it as mindful rest or I can use it as, as retail therapy. I pretend like it is actually productive for me to spend an hour <laughs> in a day. Yes. Making a decision about what pair of shoes uh, I want to add to my travel wardrobe. Like... And it really doesn't make that much of a difference whether I buy these Merrells or those Merrells. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just, there's nothing at stake, but I find it enormous. I, like, I feel like I'm doing something yeah. to make my life better when I shop for, like, which shoes and I read the reviews of the shoes and I watch all the YouTube videos about the shoes. Yeah. It's, it's so soothing. Yeah. And then our third, is it, are we going to call this a form of entertainment? Um, it's a thing that you do. Okay. As opposed to a substance you consume. And what we're talking about here is procrastinating. Yeah. Maladaptive coping behavior, number six, I guess, ish. Procrastinating. Yeah. I also, for me, it's also procrastinating. <laughs> I've painted most of my house this year. I started with the kitchen, and then I did the hallway, and now I'm painting my living room. And I'm doing this instead of facing the world. And it's, the thing is, you're accomplishing something. I am. It's a thing that I had to do anyway. It makes my house better. 
it's not bad for me or for the world. It's even a thing I, I, I would have to do at some point regardless, like procrastinating. It's a thing you have to do, but it's the choice to do it instead of the thing that you know you ought to be doing. But hate but and don't hate and don't want to face. Do. Yeah. 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 So um, at the end of the semester, I'm scrubbing down the kitchen, mopping the, end of the kitchen is a floor. very common time. And, to... and my husband says, you must have papers to grade. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> if the mop is out, there are papers to grade. <laughs> That's the only time I mop. So I'm supposed to be doing something else. When I have a deadline for something else, that's when I mop. And so we are advocates for default mode, taking breaks from doing work. Because when you take a break, your brain has a chance to go into the default mode and run in the background and solve problems for you without your being there. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's, if you do not then go back to the thing you should be working on, mm -hmm. you like sit, you like, you do the procrastinating. And then you're like, all right, I'm going to like buckle down. You get back in front of whatever you need to be doing and you bounce right back up and go clean something else. Yep. That's anxiety driven procrastinating. Yep. And uh, we're going to go ahead and say some days you need to numb by cleaning. Yeah. That's you do you. Yeah. You want to iron all your panties? <laughs> That's probably not good for panties. That depends on the panties. It depends on the panties. That's <laughs> low temperature. Doesn't matter. Okay. Does not matter. Yeah. People, you got to do what you got to do. These are maladaptive coping strategies. We acknowledge that these are not things that we want to do long term. But let's just recognize that the reason people do these things is because they work. Yes. They soothe. They numb the pain. They work. And like taking opioids after a surgery sometimes you just gotta manage the pain managing the pain is part of the healing. healing you have permission let your body tell you when it's getting to be over your capacity to cope and take this is like taking a break but it's taking a break from the specific suffering of 2020 yeah like you have to escape so those are six maladaptive coping strategies, numbing strategies, along with as much permission as we can give you to go ahead and numb the pain. Because the pain is real and the pain is, is worth taking some effort to manage. The pain is exhausting pain is... and it is making it harder for you to survive. Yes. The shit show. Yes. You continuing to be in constant pain is not going to make it less of a shit show. And it's not going to be help you heal and it's not going to help you get back into the fight and help make the shit show end. And because, of course, everybody's going to need caveats. Yeah, but, yeah, but. If, so look at your relationship with whatever your numbing strategy is. Mm -hmm. Entertainment, alcohol, whatever it is. If you find that you cannot do daily life things without it, like you can't leave your house without having a drink. That's, that's a problem. Not a great sign. Red flag. Maybe if, get some help. If you are not, if it's interfer, if you can't do the stuff you need to get done and you just lie in bed and watch Shits Creek over and over and over, it's interfering with your task of daily living. Right. And that's a sign that you need more help. So the ultimate check on your numbing strategies is, is it in, are you doing it instead of living your life? Yeah. Let it be a part of living your life. Yeah. 
And if your life is such that it causes too much pain, just numbing your pain is obviously not going to be enough. You need to change things about your yeah. life. Complete some stress response cycles. You need to complete some stress response cycles. You need to manage the monitor. You Get need real to... rest. Yeah. So, and thus, listen to all the rest of the podcasts that yeah. we have created, which... Uh, How to do things that are adaptive coping strategies. Yeah. But also, then, listening to our podcast can be what you do to numb. Yeah. We would love to be that for you. Totally, 100%. I really enjoy the idea. Yeah. That people are just like, I want to go disappear into the Nagoski twins. Women babbling about whatever. <laughs> That's totally about fine. coping with the shit show. Yeah. Oh, it does make me feel better that we make it yeah which is that's the main thing as far as i'm concerned yeah is it numbing or is it healing it's healing this is this is not just numbing this is active yeah okay and it's productive so i am currently procrastinating my living room and it's taking another coat of paint i thought it would maybe take two maybe three and i definitely am gonna have to do four goddamn motherfucking coats of paint and um, I tend to get obsessed with things and fixated on things. And I got up this morning and started painting again. And But the fact that I am here recording the thing. I had to come to Emily's house to record the thing. You disengaged. I left my house. Which is good for you. Which is good for me to do a thing that is actively good for me and as good for the world as I'm capable of contributing. So my procrast... I don't know why I can't say. Procrastive painting is... Not interfering with my life too much. And I do need to paint my living room. There are three colors of paint in that room. The walls are gray, <laughs> the trim is white, and the shelves are almond. Let's definitely talk in detail about the paint colors in your house. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm just reducing the number of colors in the room, which will be very soothing long term if I'm not looking at three different colors. Okay. You don't have to put any of that in. <laughs> We should. So uh, let us know, what is your numbing strategy? How do you know whether your relationship with your numbing strategy is healthy or not? Yeah. Have we helped give you permission to use your numbing strategy? Do you have people who numbing shame you in your life? You definitely do. I definitely do. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to hear. You can send us an email and you can follow us on uh, the Instagrams and the tweeters at FSP 2020 and um uh, uh, uh. brain is turning off <laughs> this is the end my brain is turning off <laughs> alrighty thanks for listening the Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. It just doesn't matter if she succeeds or not. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs>